our readings from Paul's second letter to the church in Thessaloniki, um, chapter 3. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured, just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing all at what you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling, so that we were a burden to any of you. We did this not because we did not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some of you are idle. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instructions in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Mike, thank you very much. Why don't I pray um, as we begin to look at this part of God's word together. Father God, we thank you that your word um, is a message of grace from you. Thank you that as we listen to you, you promise to address our hearts, to speak to the very real issues in our lives, that we would know you better and understand your love and so be able to love you more. Please do this now as we look at your word together. Amen. I wonder what um, you think counts as a life well lived. Uh, You you may have seen the film The Bucket List. Uh, It's about two terminally ill men who are trying to make the most of the few months they've got left before they um, kick the bucket, hence the idea of of a bucket list. So we see them in the film uh, driving race cars and climbing mountains and they even go skydiving at one point. And they're desperate to make sure that, that, that they don't waste the few precious years they, um, that they've been given. I wonder what would go on your bucket list. Um, I, I guess few of us will have ever written on paper an actual bucket list. But, but in those idle moments of daydreaming, um, what do you see yourself doing? What, what do you wish you had done? What would count as a life well lived? What would mean that as you looked at your life you knew that it it hadn't just been another mundane drudge in a world of grey. It had been a life worth living. What's on your bucket list?
And I guess particularly, as Christians, how, how has the gospel affected us? How does the gospel speak into what counts as a life well lived? Now, we've reached the final chapter of this, of this short letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, and if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you'll know there's been, um, it's been a pretty exciting kind of roller coaster ride. Uh, Paul's writing to a church, which are, which are very young, that they're at most about a year old. And they've got themselves into a bit of a muddle, as I guess um, any young Christian can do, if not an older Christian. Uh, they're getting hassled for their faith. Uh, and someone, pretend to be Paul, has written to them and told them that Jesus has returned, they've missed it, which um, seems a bit ridiculous for us nowadays, but it left them completely bewildered. While Paul writes this short letter to help them get out of that muddle. Uh, and in chapter 1, Paul explained about, about the end of time. He talked about when the Lord Jesus Christ would be revealed from heaven uh, with his powerful angels in blazing fire. In chapter 2, Paul spoke about the events leading up to Jesus' return and about a man of lawlessness who, who would oppose and exalt everything that is called God or, or is worshipped, who, who would perform all manner of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders. It's been pretty exciting stuff we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. I mean, it is the kind of stuff that I guess a, a scriptwriter uh, would die for. Well, in this third chapter, Paul turns to tell the Thessalonians what, what, in the midst of all this excitement about Jesus' return and men of lawlessness, he tells them what their life should focus on. He tells them, in a sense, what counts as a life well lived in light of Jesus' return. I guess, in a sense, he tells them what should be on their bucket list. And I wonder what you make of it as we look at it. Because the first thing that Paul has to say to them is pray. Our first point for this evening, pray, pray that God's word continues to work. Chapter 3, verse 1, it's on page 1190. Um, if, you've, uh, if your Bible's a fallen chapter, it'll help you to have it open. Uh, 1190, chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured, just as it was with you. Pray that God's word continues to work. See, as we've read through the letter, Paul has painted a pretty dark picture of the world. He's described a world marked by the secret power of lawlessness, a world where people refuse to love the truth and instead delight in wickedness. I wonder if that's the world that you know. Paul says this is the world that he knows, a world where people resent being told what to do, and particularly resent being told what to do by a religious book called the Bible. A world where children moan about their parents, and parents moan about their employers, and employers moan about the taxmen. A world where people insist that they have the right to do whatever they want, so long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, but then don't think twice about spreading malicious gossip, or or getting drunk, or, or having an adulterous affair, or, or bending the facts on their tax return, or, or shouting abusive language out of their car window. Paul describes a world of lawlessness. I wonder if that's the world that you know. It's a bleak picture, isn't it? But into that world, Paul says that the light of God has shone. That was the extraordinary news of chapter 2, verse 13. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by God, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved. God is saving people out of this dark, lawless world. And how is he saving them? 2 verse 13. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. God's Spirit, God's Word, 
working together, invading people's lives, changing them from the inside out as they believe the truth and are rescued from lawlessness and are brought into holiness. Paul says, 3 verse 1, Pray for us, brothers, that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured, just as it was with you. The word spread rapidly is actually run. See, Paul sees the gospel, this, this message from God, um, as, as a messenger, a, a runner. A bit like those amazing athletes uh, we saw today in the London Marathon. God's word is running. Running through a world of lawlessness. Running from person to person, from, from house to house, from town to town, from country to country. Running tirelessly with news that Jesus is Lord. And that those who submit to him will find forgiveness for sin. They'll find the power of God to cleanse them and change them. They'll find grace to help them embrace God's rule and find that under his law is freedom. And so Paul says, pray. Pray that this message keeps running. And pray that it's honoured. Pray that when, when people and households and towns and countries, pray that when they hear this message, they embrace it, that they don't reject it, that they're willing to see this is from God, that they're willing to accept it. Pray. Pray that God's word continues to work. But then Paul turns the spotlight onto the Thessalonians and says, it says it's not just praying out there. Pray that God's word continues to work amongst you. Chapter 3, verse 4. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. So it's not just that God's word and God's spirit are at work out there, dealing with the lawlessness that's, that's in, in the people outside the four walls of the church building he's writing to. God's word and God's spirit are at work in here. In, in my heart, in, in your heart, I trust, driving out the lawlessness that, that continues to find a home within each of us, driving out the resentment of being told what to do, driving out the, the bizarre idea that somehow life would be better if we throw off God's authority and, and just indulge the lust we find inside. God's word is at work within each of our hearts. You see, the Christian life is, is in one sense a long process of being slowly changed, slowly changed by God. Slowly being made more like Jesus as God's word continues to work by his spirit within each individual child of God. As our hearts are directed more and more into God's love, his extraordinary love for us and Christ's perseverance. Pray. So can I ask, um, how's your praying? How's your praying? Uh, would prayer make it onto your bucket list? Would it be one of the things that you're, you're desperate to do with the years that remain for you? Would it be on your list of things that, that make a life well lived? I have to say I'm slightly embarrassed that I don't always find praying one of the most exciting of prospects. In an evening when I, when I get to the end of a long day and I'm tired, if it's a choice between praying and switching on the telly, well, the TV always wins. Why is that? Why, why is prayer hard? Well, well, I suspect there's a number of reasons why I struggle, not least uh, a certain lack of self-discipline. But I wonder whether it's just too easy to forget what an extraordinary thing it is that God's word does in this world. 
See, God's word reaches into lives, into lives that are, that are turned in on themselves and straightens them out. God's word reaches into hearts that, that are corrupt and self-condemned like mine, I guess like yours. And he speaks words of life and joy and hope to them. If you're here this evening and you're not a believer, then, then that's what God wants his words to do in your life. He wants to put right what is wrong in your life and his word can do that. And so Paul says pray. Pray that God's word is at work in this way. I wonder if you're doing that. It's often said that the easiest way to gauge the spiritual health of a church is by the prayer meeting. So people come along to a, to a Sunday church service, to a home group. Um, people may even volunteer to help out with a youth group for all kinds of different reasons. But it's the prayer meeting that shows whether or not a church are really interested in doing business with God. Well, I guess there's different ways to cut that cake. There's, there's different reasons why people may not be able to make a particular time in a diary. But I think there's probably truth in that, isn't there? That the prayer meeting shows whether people actually want God's word to be at work in a church. Whether they want God to be at work saving people from lawlessness, changing them to be more like Christ. So I wonder how important the prayer meeting is to you. If we want to grow as a church, if we want to grow personally in our own walk with Christ and in our, in our grasp of his love and Christ's perseverance, if, if we want people to be coming to faith, then surely the prayer meeting must be marked out in the diary as an absolute priority. Pray. Pray that God's word continues to work. That's the first thing that Paul has to say to us about, about what it looks like to live well as we wait for Christ's return. And next, he zeroes in on a very particular way in which God's word needs to work amongst the Thessalonian Christians. And in fact, there's two different issues uh, which, we, which we need to look at in verses 6 to 15. Um, it'll help us if we treat them separately. Um, one is just about the world of work, and the other is about a group of Christians within that church who won't submit to God's word. Um, so we'll deal with work first. And here, Paul's message is, is really quite simple. So our second point, work like God's word tells you to. Verse 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling, so so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this, not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat." simple point isn't it Paul says work work like God's word tells you to now we need to be careful here of course Um, some people maybe maybe even some in this congregation uh, would love to work but because of matters outside of their control they can't maybe it's ill health or or redundancy or maybe it's simply old age and and infirmity Um, others choose not to do paid work so they can devote themselves to caring for elderly parents or, or, or children so we can't make this into a black and white issue where earning a salary is automatically good and, and not earning a salary is automatically bad. I think it's probably more case that Paul is urging us to use the days given to us to do something constructive, whether we're paid for it or not. It's pretty simple, isn't it? He, he focuses, focuses in on this idea of idleness. And he's got a simple message about it. Don't do it. Don't be idle. Why do you need to say that? Well, I guess he needs to tell us that because idleness is just quite attractive, isn't it? It's just quite tempting. I mean, I like to think that I'm a fairly hard-working guy by temperament, 
but I find it distressingly easy to be idle. So um, on the afternoon that I set aside to write the sermon, um, something went wrong with my computer. I've got a program installed that blocks um, parts of the internet that I shouldn't be looking at. And on Thursday afternoon, that program crashed, and it it meant I couldn't access the internet at all. I couldn't get emails, um, I couldn't surf the net, I couldn't look at the BBC website to see what the headlines were, Um, I couldn't do anything. But I knew that if I just hit reset on the computer, it would take maybe five minutes to reboot, um, and it would all be put right. I knew that would happen. And so I was reaching out to push the button on the computer, and then I just found myself thinking, Ben, what are you doing? You don't need the internet this afternoon. You don't need to check your emails. You're meant to be writing a sermon. You're meant to be preparing to preach about idleness. And you're trying to reset your computer so you can track how the hunt for the Boston bomber's going. What are you doing? Well, I didn't reset the computer. But I did find that afternoon surprisingly hard. The temptation just, just to fritter time away on the internet was, was at times really quite powerful. Um, when my computer did, did come back online, um, I googled time wasting on the internet, interestingly. And I discovered that two years ago a study was done in the US which found that an average American office worker can spend an hour and a half a day on the internet. And one estimate suggests that American businesses are being cost $759 billion a year because of time that's spent looking at websites that have got nothing to do with the work being given to the employers. Our culture has made an art form out of whiling time away. Now, of course, I'm not saying that checking email or reading the BBC website is an inherently evil thing to do, that we must never do it. But surely it can be an idle thing to do, can't it? And idleness can easily become evil. It's a very easy way to avoid doing what what we've been given to. It's an easy way, I guess, to resist the authority that we're under. It's a way to be lawless. To say, my time's my own, I'm going to fritter away as I choose. Well, Paul says, no, God's work, it says, no, work like God's word tells you to. See, God's purpose is to make us fruitful, to make us constructive, to change us so that we impact those around us for good. In a sense, God's word takes hold of leeches and by his spirit, um, he takes these leeches who, who just instinctively want to suck out of people around them and makes them ants who work for the good of the community. Is that the effect that God's word is having on you? Taking a leech and making an ant. I wonder what that's what's going on. So in the workplace, make sure you're doing what you're employed to do. Don't, don't take advantage of slack oversight to um, take extra long lunch hours. Don't, don't put in part-time hours for a full-time salary just because everyone else is doing it. Don't work full-time hours but, but at part-time concentration because you're always on Facebook. If you're retired or unemployed, well, look for constructive things to do with your time. Don't, again, don't give in to the temptation to idleness. I, I heard a retired friend recently comment that there's, there's no such thing as retirement from the kingdom of God. And what great news that is. See, God has good things for us to do, whether we're, whether we're 19 or 90. If you're at school, work hard at your studies. Not, not particularly because you want to get good grades, the good grades are fine, but because you want to honour God in the way that you work. To be honest, God's not particularly bothered by the letters you get on a piece of paper in the middle of August. He's far more concerned about how you work through the the other 11 months of the year. 
work like God's word tells you to. That's what, make, that's what makes for a life well lived. And finally, our third point. Third point. Warn those who resist God's word. I wonder what you made of Paul's words as we heard them read. In verse 6, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who's idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. Or verse 14, If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Doesn't feel very tolerant, does it? Doesn't feel very loving, effectively to cold shoulder these group of Christians. And yet the fact is that Paul's words here are as loving as they could possibly be. It'll help us just to back up a bit and get our bearings. You see, Paul visited this um, city in Thessalonica about a year before. We've already said that. He preached the gospel to them. He taught them how to live to please God. He's mentioned that a few times in these, in these verses here. And, and if you flick back with me to um, 1 Thessalonians, just, just the page before, 1188, a letter written earlier that same year, um, Paul talks about what he did when he was with them. So chapter 4, verse 11. And 1 Thessalonians 4, it's on um, page 1188, chapter 4, verse 11. It says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you. See, when Paul was first in Thessalonica, he taught them to work hard, to live in a way that worked hard. And yet, it seems that not everyone in the church was particularly keen on that part of Paul's teaching. So when Paul first sat down to write these young Christians, he felt the need to say in 1 Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. See, there were idle people in the church, and Paul knew it. And he's saying to the Thessalonian church, warn them. Help them see this isn't the way to live. This isn't what pleases God. Now, we don't know why these people were idle. Um, Possibly they were so excited about the prospect of Jesus' return that the day they got baptised, they sent in their resignation letter saying, I'm ready, Lord. Come back now. Maybe they just enjoyed the hospitality of their Christian brothers and sisters and maybe they just decided that actually it was was quite an easy life bouncing from house to house for different meals. And whatever the reason for their idleness, Paul says clearly, warn them. That's not how God's word should be at work in someone's life. God wants to change these people into ants, not leeches. And yet, nothing happens. Six months later, when Paul sits down to write two Thessalonians, nothing's changed. So he ups the stakes. He gives them a final warning. See, these people, these Christians, are resisting God's word in their lives. They're resisting Christ's authority. They're giving in to the power of lawlessness. And that's a dangerous thing to do. See, for over a year, they've been taught clearly what God's word means to them and they've been ignoring it. They're indulging the lawlessness, which is the very thing that God's spirit is determined to drive out of them. And they've set themselves on a road that Paul knows is leading them away from Christ, away from heaven, and to destruction. So Paul says... We need to make it completely clear what's going on here. Keep away from them. Show these brothers and sisters in Christ that their resistance to God's word is in danger of putting them outside of the kingdom. Don't associate with them. I wonder what you make of this. 
Now, I've got a friend who works for a church uh, which tore itself to bits over the issue of church discipline. And we wouldn't be right to get into details. Uh, but something like half the church sided with the person who was being disciplined. and They thought it was unloving and judgmental uh, for anyone to tell a person what they should and shouldn't do. Well, I don't know about the details of that situation. But it is clear from this chapter here, 2 Thessalonians, that it's not judgmental and it's not unloving to show someone that what they're doing in resisting God's word is a very serious thing. Surely the unloving thing would be to allow a, a fellow believer to keep rejecting God's word until they end up so hardened to Christ they fall away from his grace forever. And it's certainly not judgmental. See, Paul isn't here giving a license for each Christian to become judge, jury and firing squad. Paul spent a year pleading and explaining to these people patiently, graciously. He's been saying to them, look, this is what God requires of you. Please repent. And for a year they've refused to listen. And Paul says, okay, if that's the case, we need to show you how serious a deal it is. We need to, we need to cut you out of the church until you realise quite what you're doing. What does that mean for us here at St. David's? Well, just, just one suggestion. Surely at the very least, this means we need to be prepared to warn each other. We need to be prepared to have the courage to graciously and gently say to each other, are you sure that this is the way to please God? I don't know what the issue might be. Um, I guess most issues that go on in our lives aren't, aren't on public display. Um, maybe it would be drunkenness or, or flirting or, or idleness or, or greed. I, I don't know. Each of us, though, will certainly have times in our lives where we find the power of lawlessness very attractive and where we find ourselves just resisting what God's word has to say to us. And at those points, God has given us a very precious gift. He's given us brothers and sisters to draw alongside us and graciously, lovingly warn us just to point out the path that we're on. It's a great gift that God's given us in the church. We need to use it. Warn those who resist God's word. So that's Paul's bucket list. Paul's way to live a worthwhile life as we wait for Christ's return. Pray, pray for God's work to continue through his word. Work as God's word tells you to and warn those who resist God's word. I guess to some it may not sound the most exciting of lists. Um, Maybe it even sounds a little mundane in ways. Maybe that's the kind of things that, that a bucket list is meant to deliver you from. Maybe you'd rather go skydiving. Well, if that's the case, then we need to realise that Christians are in such a different place than those two terminally ill men in that cancer ward. You see, we're not trying to make the most of a few fleeting years before we kick the bucket and it's all over. We're part of a kingdom that God is building that will last forever. See, chapter 2, verse 14. God called us, called, God called you, the Thessalonians, to this through the gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ that we might share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, that's our destiny. And that changes everything. It lifts even the most mundane of tasks, the most monotonous of days, into a day of glory. A day when God's word will run through the world. A day when God's spirit will work in our hearts and in his church, that we might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is something to live for. Let's pray. Gracious Father, what an extraordinary thing you're doing in this world, in, in a world that's, that's dark and lawless, a, a world that, 
has turned its back on you. It is a wonderful thing that you've reached in and by your spirit, through your word, you are saving people. Please lift our eyes to see how you're at work in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Teach us to pray. Teach us to work. Teach us to love each other enough to say hard things. That your kingdom would come in our lives and in this town. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.